Yeah. You know, that was after the service. She said, oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, go okay. ahead. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, instructed by the um, the leader of this group to mute yourself, mm-hmm. right? That's right. <laughs> it's 830. Praise the Lord. Go ahead, Miss Susan. Yes, sir. Kind Father, in Jesus' name, thank yes, you for Father. this day. We are so grateful for having you in our lives yes, and can Father. come to you boldly. Oh, yes, God. And you eulogize. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. And we can eulogize you for being so loving and kind to us and our family members. Oh, yes, God. Mm. You are concerned with all of our needs and our failure. We're so glad, God, that you are not like man. You will give us like nothing never happened. And we love you and we praise you for that, God. Father, there's a lot of us on this line have unspoken prayer requests up. Oh, we are asking you, Father, Hallelujah. to answer those prayer requests for us. You know the time, God, for it to be done. And God, we just praising you and we just thanking you. And Lord, forgive us for our sin of omission and commission. Father, I'm covering myself, the listeners, and our family members with the blood of Jesus, that we will not get any backlashes from this prayer in Jesus' name. Father, prepare our hearts and mind to receive your rhema word on this morning. Bless your servant for giving us the word that you put in his spirit for us in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, continue to give the overseer and his ministry favor with everyone that he needs favor for, even his family members, Lord. You know the need of his family members that is up before you. Meet those needs, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. We will not take your praise. We will give you the praise, God. And we love you so much. Amen. Thank in the early part of 1900, when people like William Seymour started the Azusa Street, they would start their prayer speaking in a, in a, in a tongue that, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. that just like a filled that room with yeah. the spirit of the Lord, just like a descending into that room and just yeah. taking control of that room. Yeah. And that's why in the place like Azusa Street, people saw like uh, the the tumors fall out of their bodies, mm-hmm. and the people would come and just like a wash that place or clean that place because the tumor, mm-hmm. when it falls out of their body into the floor with blood, somebody needs to come and clean the floor. 
Yeah. The people came in with crutches and wheelchair and they left everything behind yeah. because the God of this universe was just getting praised and honored mm. yeah. in that room. This morning, I want to open up the floor to see if there is any praise that you have for the Lord because that's one thing that the enemy is afraid of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Cheryl, I do. It's Sabrina. And yes. um, I just want to say that about five weeks ago, I had a, a Cologuard test that came back positive, and I, I believe that Miss um, Sarah shared the results yes. of the test um, mm -hmm. this past Friday, which were all normal, and praise Jesus for that. And yes. I just want to say for you guys, um, your faithfulness really um, – made me see where I am in all of this and walking through this valley and the lesson that I took away from all of it and just having you all there. And I, I've never met any of you except over this, this line. And I just want to give Jesus all the glory for through and for putting – putting you all in my life and Cyril especially you um you have been a faithful friend and all of y'all your faithfulness and all through all of this really was my stronghold and I appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know so thank you for that Praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're so glad praise to be Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm. this, this is a God we serve, a God who answers. Yes. yes. You can call on his name and he will answer our cry. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are so glad you are with us, Miss Sabrina. Yes. Yes. I be here. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Any other praise item this morning? I shared with you all this morning that I got to see pictures of um, my siblings and my parents and me as a child, which I've never seen before. We never mm. had any, and they were just discovered actually yesterday, and um, oh. that's a blessing, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that I got to see. And I'm 65, so I'll be 65. I'm 64, but I got to see some of the it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Oh. It is a blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I do want to praise God for my aunt's life who just passed away earlier this week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. She was like my mother's figure and that time. She, like every time that she fed me, when my father abandoned uh, me uh, and she took, it in, she took me into her house. And every time she fed me, this is one thing that she always said. You know, she said, it's really hard to get a good name. You have to work on it every day. It would take just one second to get a bad name. Oh, All she was saying is like, you know, keep working just because you're doing good today doesn't mean 
you can live on this glory tomorrow. Yes. Amen. Yes. And so uh, in, in her life, uh, you know, she was one of the richest women um, in her town, in that part of the town, in southern part of India. She owned thousands of acres, right? And uh, she owned, like, a, they, they had a factory where the train would go into their factory to, to, to pick up the crushed bones that they were sending for medicinal purposes. And she owned a lot of properties. But over 60 years, she sold every bit of it and gave it away. By the time she left from this earth, she had nothing left. She had given everything away. Oh. Isn't that amazing? What a blessed life. I praise yeah. God for, you know, just like her life, yeah. um, you know, and uh, how she's been a blessing to have like a 25 grandkids and six great grandchildren. Yeah. Before she went to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. She knew she had that mansion in heaven and she didn't need these things. So she She must have heard your message um, uh, in the future, you know, because remembering that message the morning that Miss Bennett passed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So busy. So praise the Lord. All right. Any other praise item? Wonderful. Let me unmute. I'm going to mute this slide. The conference has been muted. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Father God, we come before your throne of grace. We thank you for all the praises that we heard this morning, Father. The praises. Father God, that fills the room where you are right now, Father God, with the beautiful and smelling aroma of incense. Father God, we pray that you will just like smell them right now. Father, even now, just as the the prayers were offered, Father God, let the words come out of my mouth with clarity. Father God, let your name be glorified and honored in this place. Father God, we give you all the honor, glory. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning, as we are traveling through the, the, the name of the Lord, that's what we started about three weeks ago. Uh, we, we started on looking at like a how the God's name that we have today, there are totally about 952 names and expressions that we have for the Lord. And that the God's name Every time it is said, there is a reason why that name got introduced into that place. When it was a time for him to create this earth, the Elohim, the creator, just came into picture and just like made this earth with the, 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 uh, the things that the, that the stars and the and the, and the the sun and the, all of those things, he just like made it like out of nothing. Then we went into Adonai, a God that we saw last week. When we looked at Adonai, what we saw was like this God that we worship is a solution-giving God. When we run to him with a problem, he has a solution for the problem. There's so many times 
I would think all the door seems to have locked, I mean locked and I don't know what to do next and there will be a small answer waiting. And that's what happened when Moses said, God, I cannot speak. My mouth is just not ready. My mouth is just like so much of staggering and I cannot come out of this. And God says, I'll become your mouthpiece. You go and I'll talk. Right? And when Gideon says, I don't have energy. I'm the least in my clan and I'm the youngest in my whole family. And God says, I will become your army and you will beat the enemy as one man. When they went into the battlefield, there were like 35,000 fighting against 185,000 people. They needed to have fought with at least five, six per every person that showed up. But God says, 35 is too much. He, 35,000 became 3,000. Now, it is not five, six. You have to fight 50, 60 people. God says, that's too much. Let's bring it down to 300. Now they had to fight 450 for every man that Gideon had. But God said, I will still beat that enemy because I am the army that you're going to carry into that field. Today morning, we're going to look at God as an El Shaddai. This is one of the names where it talks about He is a God Almighty. He is an all-sufficient God. When, when He says this word, there is a freshness that God brings it into our conversation. Today we're going to look at what is El Shaddai? Where does this all came from? Why did God say this? In total, in the Old Testament, 48 times this word El Shaddai has come. 48 times, right? 31 of those 48 came actually from the book of Job. Job knew exactly who this El Shaddai is. When everything was gone, he knew what he can hang on to. So this morning, let's move on to, if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 17. We will do 1 through 8, but first to begin with, we will start on verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 17. This is the first time the word El Shaddai has been used. There are so many other places it comes. There are so many beautiful places where it's come. We'll look at like a handful of them this morning. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. In fact, the, the New Living Translation, that's what I recommend for this morning to hand, hang on to, just like how we saw last week to look at NASB. Uh, today morning we'll look at the, the New Living Translation if you have it. And it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, 
the Lord with a capital L-O-R-D, referring to Yahweh, appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So I know we will go through this um, eight verses before the end today, but I wanted to pause there for a moment because we have to understand the, the map of Abraham's life a little bit in order for this particular verse, this is the background that we need to have before we can actually jump into understand why is God saying he is El Shaddai, right? So in order to understand this text, we actually have to go back to chapter 11 of Genesis. And this week, that's one of the things that I'm going to ask you to do. When you get a chance, it's not a lot of chapters between chapter 11 and 17, I want you to take some time to read. This is almost like if you have a reading habit, it will flow much, much quicker for you, okay? Now, I'm going to do just like a summarized version of this. So in, the, in the first time the, way the, the Abraham was introduced was in the chapter 11, towards the end, it's talking about a family, set of families that are living in Babylonian territory, right? And there was this one family called Terah, Terah's family, and these guys that lived in that neighborhood, there were like three people in his family, and they were worshiping the idols. They were worshiping the foreign gods. I don't know why God would pick some family from like a foreign land and who were worshiping foreign gods, right? And so here, there were three children that Terah, Terah, T-E-R-A-H, right? Terah had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is very important. Why? Because when Terah, the father god, was living in Babylon, he decided to go to the land of Canaan which is the promised land. Somehow, he would have felt that I cannot live in this place. This is not the place where I would have all that I need to flourish and prosper, right? So he decided to start moving his family with his children. And all of a sudden, one of his sons, Haran, dies. And his son, his grandson, Terah's grandson, Haran's son, is named Lot. And he takes even Lot and his family and all of the servants. They start to travel. And halfway through, they come to a place, and they didn't go to the promised land. In fact, the one that was going to the promised land was not Abraham. It was Abraham's father, Terah. But he saw something comfortable in the middle, and he stayed there, and he died at the age of 205. Right? After his father dies, who was the only source of energy that Abram had, he was just probably distorted. But God comes and speaks to Abram in chapter 12. 
So in chapter 12, it just begins like this. When, when the beginning, the God comes up and speaks to this Yahweh God, speaks to him and says, get out of your country. This, this place that your father left you here, this comfort zone, just get out of the comfort zone from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. God didn't actually show him the land, but he says, I have a place for you. I want you to get to that place, but leave everything here. Right? So they start to move. Here's how I always see this. Uh, he, he just like got a blessing. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. God gives like all these blessings. It says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in your family, earth shall be blessed. God gave this blueprint to Abraham. And he says, starts to move, right? At this time, Abraham was 75 years old. He was living comfortably in, in a place in a modern-day uh, uh, city uh, somewhere in Iran. And he starts to move. Can you imagine? It's almost like a God says, get started. I will tell you where you will go. He hasn't even given him the place. And Abraham trusts God, and he pulls up a U-Haul, and just like a dumps everything that he has in his house, and he starts driving with his GPS. No, that's not how it happened. Because in those days, they didn't have like any modern day transportation. They had to walk. In fact, Abraham and his family walked for 600 miles. In fact, much higher than what was uh, happening in Exodus when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. But they walked 600 miles northeast and and they just like came to a place, the land of Canaan, right? And here, this, this land of Canaan in today's context, it's Israel, the West Bank, the Gaza, the, the Jordan. The, it's, it's actually the southern portion of Syria and Lebanon. That's where he comes. In fact, while they landed in the Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar in that land. God, so if we look at all the story, so Terah and his sons were starting to move, and they stopped in the middle, and now after that the father dies, and Abraham picks up and starts to walk 600 miles. They've come to the promised land. Then God says, this is the land. This is where I want you to live. This is the promised land. But then there was a famine that comes and Abraham decided to help God. God told Abraham, this is the promised land. Boy, this is where you need to live. But Abraham decided to help God so he moves out of the promised land into Egypt. Abraham was just like making way out from the promised land. When we get into trouble, it doesn't mean God is not there in our trouble. In fact, we need to give God the room to work in our trouble. 
In fact, unless we give God the room to work in our trouble, we will never know who God is. Without, you know, going through a health issue, like what Ms. Sabrina talked about this morning, we will not understand that God is a healer. Without knowing that there is no door that is open, we will absolutely not know he is a way maker. But Abraham decides to move out of the promised land into Egypt. And along the way, he tells his wife, Oh, you look very beautiful. So when we get to that place, don't tell them that you are my wife. Let me tell them you are my sister. Right? And when they land in Egypt, Pharaoh looks at this beautiful girl, Sarai, and just says, oh, my goodness, she looks good. And she takes him, her into her, his house. But before anything bad happens, God knows that this guy is just like a going and making mistake after mistake after mistake. First, he moved out of the place where I can bless him. Now, he's even lying about his own wife. And so, God shows up in that place and causes some disruption in Pharaoh's house and the land. And there was like a plague, like a COVID shows up in that land. And Pharaoh gets really scared, and he found out that Sarah is not even Abraham's sister. And so he calls and says, my goodness, please leave. This is not what my land wants. And so Abraham, Abraham starts to leave in chapter 13. He just like starts to go to a place. By this time, they've, they've you know, got a lot of wealth in their hands. They have gold and silver and so on. And so they just like a split and move forward very fast, that Abraham, Abraham tells Lot, you know, you go and take care of yourself. And they put him a little bit, you know, away in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's where Lot was living with all his wealth. And then in 14th chapter, Lot gets captured and Abraham goes and saves Lot. And at this point, what happens is that the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, let me give you some riches. And Abraham says, nope, I'm not going to take it. And then he, he just like moves on from there. By this time, Abraham, uh, you know, is, is just like, a, you know, getting older and older. 11 years goes by. Sometimes when God gives us a promise, we think he wants, uh, we want God to work like a microwave. We want that promise to be executed immediately, right? But here, God appears to uh, Abraham, Abraham, and he tells him, I'm going to bless you. That's what we saw last week in chapter 15. He just like said to him, I am the Adonai. God, when, when, when Abraham referred to him as a master-slave relationship, God recognized him and he says, let me make a covenant with you. And so Abraham cuts these animals into two parts and he cuts the birds into two parts and both God and Abraham walked in the middle where God is saying, now this covenant 
that you have made with me and the covenant that I made with you is like the commitment on steroids. I will bless you. I will make you a nation. I will make a descendant of you. God is just saying, I am the Adonai. I am the covenant-keeping God. He's just talking to him. And chapter 16 comes by, and Abram and Sarai, Abram and Sarai were sitting down outside, and they were having like a, probably a, a coffee or a tea, and Sarai was telling Abram, this may be too late for us. You are 86 years old. I am 75 years old. Don't think that the 86 in those days is like a 35 today. 86 is 86, whether it is like 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, right? So she was saying, we're getting old. We cannot have babies. Maybe we should help God. And so Sarah sends a servant named Hagar. And Hagar, just like a sitting where, you know, lives, starts to go into living with Abraham, and she gets pregnant. What were they doing? They were trying to help God. And this was really a most insulting to God because he has already spoken to him and he has already said to him in the 15th chapter that it won't be your servant, Eliezer, who will become the higher of your family. I have something for you. There is something major that I have planned for you. Sometimes when those kind of like a promises are given to us and the covenant is made with God, we need to give God the room. But because of their disobedience, God never spoke to them for 13 years. So you start to count, right? So they started their journey at 75 in the father's house, Abraham. 11 years goes by. They were in Egypt. That was 86. Now 13 gone by. Now he is 99. When we cause something, grief to God. When we cause God, you know, a disobedience is just like it causes God from speaking to us. If only God stopped speaking to us, that is the most dangerous part we could be in. When what killed Jesus on the cross wasn't the, the nails that were pierced. It was God closing the door from speaking to him. That's what killed Jesus. It was, if only God was still speaking to Jesus, the story would be different. But here, God's Stop speaking to Abram. And this uh, chapter 17 is the first time God is speaking to Abram. And he is now 99 years old. That's how this whole chapter is starting. Abram was 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram. And he says, I am El Shaddai, Almighty God. And this is where we're going to start it today. This is all. All we have done so far is just looked at the, the background behind all of these verses. What does he mean by El Shaddai? Almighty, all-sufficient, 
God, God is just telling Abraham, you haven't really given room for me to be an El Shaddai in your life. I don't know how many of you have watched Dave Letterman. I used to, this is when we had come into U.S., Dave Letterman was in his peak. And every night at 11 o'clock, Dave Letterman would come in and he would make a joke out of everybody. And one thing that I always loved about his show is that he would have top 10 things that he would take. He would take a top topic and he would just like make fun out of that topic using the top 10 reasons for him to make fun of, right? Today, I want to take like a top five reasons to talk about the strength of God, right? And the top five reasons that I'm going to pick up this morning is to talk about the strength of an animal. Well, we'll talk about other things later, but let's look at what are the five strongest animals on this earth? Five strongest animals. And, and the reason why I picked the five strongest animals because it's, it's not the heaviness of that animal that makes them strong. We will look at it in a minute. Eagle is the number fifth in that row. If we take like a, in the order of one through five, eagle is the lowest strongest animal in that list coming in on the fifth place. When they give like these awards, they will start with the lowest and go towards the top, right? So we pick eagle as the fifth strongest animal. Why? Because eagles can, eagles can carry four times the body weight of theirs, four times the weight of their body. If that eagle is 100 pounds, then it can actually carry, lift, and fly with 400 pounds. It can do four times the weight of that body. When it comes down with such a speed and picks up anything on the ground, it can actually see from a distance, and the eyes of eagle is so like a correcting on that speed, it's coming down from the 10th floor on the top of a building. From the 10 stories high, it can see an ant walking on the street. And it can come down and it can go down with that speed and pick up four times the weight of their body. The fourth place is gorilla. It can lift 10 times its body weight. If the gorilla is 400 pounds, then it can pick up 4,000 pounds of something. Now you know that Bigfoot is real. It can carry 10 times the weight of its body. But the third one, the strongest animal in this category, when I looked at it, I was really puzzled. And I had to look at it a couple of more times to see this. The third in that list is the leaf cutting or leaf cutter ants. Leaf cutter ants, this smallest tiny one, right? It can carry 50 times the body weight. It can carry 
50 times the body weight of an animal, like a, a, a leaf-cutting ant. Can you imagine that an ant of this size can carry 50, 50 of those ants on top of each other? The second in this is elephant. Usually elephants weigh anywhere between 8,000 to 12,000 pounds, but the elephants can carry 25% times two of their weight, which means a 12,000 pound elephant can carry about 20,000 pounds of weight. About 130 men can be put on top of an elephant and the, 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 the notes that I read said that elephant will not even have a discomfort or a pressure on its body or spine, right? But here is the number one animal in this list. Rhinoceros, you may think, ah, rhinoceros is big. No, no, no. Rhinoceros beetle. Rhinoceros beetle can lift about 850 times its body weight. There was a Hercules uh, beetle which can take a hundred times the body weight in its mouth. And if we can combine all of this, why am I going through in detail like this this morning is because if we can take and combine all of this strength and start to compare against this almighty God, he is much more stronger than any of these things that we can even put a benchmark or comparison. We don't need to be strong to break the strongholds. We don't need to have all of this strength because he is our strength. He is our El Shaddai. He is all sufficient. He comes and tells Abraham, Abraham, what are you thinking? You think I cannot open that womb and give you a child? I'm an all-sufficient God. He's saying to him, oh my God, what you are going away from a promised land because of a famine? Do you think I don't have an ability to take care of your famine? When we read that in the Bible, we think, oh my God, Abraham must be really bad. But think about it for a second. How many times we become that Abraham in this life? When, when going gets tough, when we get to the desperation, we need the answer. We need something. Then all of a sudden, we become like this Abraham. And, and, and we start to do things to help God. When we have like a trouble uh, raising funds for uh, Proverbs 2 to 6, or, or, or when our business needed some help, or the family needs some help, and we have prayed, two days has gone by, the answer is not coming, go let's help God by just opening the doors for him. Maybe that will help him to find the funds. Maybe that will help him find the business partner that I'm looking for. Maybe I'll make a couple of phone calls so I can find the businesses that can help me. That way I can go and tell somebody, oh, look what God did. No, God will never get the glory when we go and do things on our own. If we get like a hurry, 
in making things happen, we will end up creating Ishmael instead of Isaac. That's what was about to happen here. And God says before he swirled into this bad space that he was spiraling himself into, God shows up and says, stop, stop. Don't do anything further to damage the path that I've called you to go. You don't need to go this path. Your path is already set. I have a vision for you. I have a calling in your life. You don't need to go this path. Stop. I am all-sufficient, almighty God. I'm a mighty healer. I'm a waymaker. And the first thing that God wants to tell Abraham is, your current predicament that you're in or your past mistake will not change my covenant that I made with you. In the 15th chapter, when God spoke to him as an Adonai, he made a covenant when those animals were cut into two pieces and when God and Abraham walked in the middle, God said to him, if my promise or my covenant is not kept, I can be cut into two pieces just like these two animals that you have cut. He is, there is a song, there is a beautiful song that I've heard. It says, he is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That's what the song says. So the first thing God is trying to do is establish his omnipotence. He is trying to re-inject into the life of Abraham some hope in his hopeless situation. God wants to tell Abraham, I'm here to do something. I'm a God of impossible. God is not saying here to Abraham, the situation that Abraham in is not impossible. God's not saying that. God is saying that situation is still impossible. The, 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 the break that we are looking for is still tough to get with our own strength. But God is saying, don't need to believe in the impossible, but you need to believe in the God of the impossible. Don't think your oldness stops you from having a baby. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17, I want you to chew on these two verses that I'm talking about as well. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17. Jeremiah says, O sovereign God, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hands and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I do not know who you are that's listening today and the situation that you're going through is like the Abraham's situation, Abraham's situation where everything in the world says it's not possible, the door is closed, the business is done, the relationship is gone, the, the illness will not recover you. God is saying, I am not done with you. I have a plan for you. And in that plan, I am a God of impossible. Jeremiah 32:17. I'm going to ask you this week, 
to write it on a piece of paper and just like a stick it in your, your refrigerator. Because you need to read and reread and reread these kind of verses when your situation, when your going gets tough. Nothing is too hard for him who has called you up to this place. The second verse that I want you to write down on a piece of paper, or if you have a pen, like a, a marker pen, you can write it on the mirror of your bathroom, these two verses, because I want you and me to actually chew on this. Even as I'm preaching this morning, there are situations that are tough for me. As a Proverbs 26 leader, there are things that are rough and tough for me as well. But I'm not preaching this to you. I'm actually preaching this to me right now. Because I want to see my God to show up in my life and say, nothing is too hard for you. Job 42, verses 1 and 2 says, Job is the one who used this, this El Shaddai 31 out of the 48 times in the Bible. He says in chapter 42, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. When God makes a covenant with you, when God gives you a promise, he is out there to execute his promise. He's out there to execute what is impossible for you. He, the laws of this nature will not align to what my father is about to do in your life and my life. Job cannot rely on his wife. Job cannot rely on his friends. Job cannot rely on his money. The only source that he can rely on is this El Shaddai. And this morning, the number one thing that we need to write on the tablets of our heart is that we serve a God who is all-sufficient, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who he is this morning in your life and my life. But then, there is something more in the chapter 17 that comes up. In the second verse of chapter 17 of Genesis, after he says, no, actually, it's in the first, first verse itself. He says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Then he gives two simple instructions for Abraham. Abraham. He's still not Abraham. I'll tell you, we'll get to the Abraham part in a minute. Because this is the chapter where he turns from being Abraham to Abraham, right? So Abraham fell down on the ground after he hears all these things. But before that, God speaks to him and says two things. The version that I'm reading, New Living Translation says, God is asking him to serve me faithfully. And the second thing he says, live a blameless life. God is saying to him, in some versions it says, walk before me. 
And God is saying, let's not worry about what you have done in the past. Let's not worry about what you even want from me. We'll get to that part. Let's not even worry about the, the Sarah, what you did with Sarah, what you did with Hagar, what happened with the Ishmael. Let's not go anywhere in that direction. When God starts to work in your life and my life, he starts with us first. If you want to see a change in your life, if you want to see a miracle happen, if you want the strongholds to be broken, if you want an answer for your prayers, if you want God to show up in your life, in your difficult situation, God says it has to start with you and me. He says, don't blame Sarah. Don't blame Hagar. Don't blame all those people. In fact, First John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, it says that, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Our walk in this earth needs to show some evidence that Jesus is in you and in me. And, and the thing is this, this, earlier this week, I was talking to one of my cousins in, in Philadelphia, and he said, you know, he calls me uncle, and he says, uncle, the last four months, I've been trying to do this, one thing, for my church. He's a doctor over there. And he says, I want to use my profession to just like bring some glory to God. And I started to work in, in the community to just like bring them together. I'm just like trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. For four months, it was a battle. I couldn't get God's people to just like come in agreement. Here, I'm trying to do something good. And it, I couldn't pull the churches together to do this. For four months, he struggled. And I said to him, look, it is not about what you want to get done. It is about what God has called you to do. I told him, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. And I told him, the only person that knows whether you're winning or losing is just you. You do your part. Don't go after the results. And I told him, the only thing that I want to see in this life is to help one child that doesn't have their father at home to get through this difficult situation. Those numbers are fine and great, like how many prisons we serve and how many children. It doesn't matter. My job is to see one kid walk through that line with the 
black gown and a hat in their head come out on the other side with a degree or a higher education. I'm going to do everything that I can to push this. Even if nothing is open, my job is to stand there for the Lord. And that's what our attitude should be when we start to serve God. It's not about the results that we are going to get. God will get the results. But God says, you need to walk with me. You need to serve me faithfully. You need to show some faithfulness towards me. I know there was a famine. What makes you think I cannot solve it? I know that you don't have a child and you are 99. What makes you think I cannot create a seed? This morning, I'm here to challenge you this one thing. If you're serving God and you have left something undone, my prayer to you is this. What is that one thing? that God has caused you to do and you have left undone. If you are in that space, God is saying to you this morning, walk with me. You don't need to walk before me or you don't need to come behind me. Walk with me in this journey. And the only way we can do that is to follow what it says In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes it so beautifully. He says, we don't need to offer. Here's what he says. You want to know what God wants in your life and you're stuck somewhere in the middle? And he has an answer for that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is not the exact verses because I haven't really picked up that verse. So, you know, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God as a reasonable act of worship. God is saying, in order for us to serve him, we need to start to serve him by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And God knows the second part, he says, walk or live blamelessly. God knows that you and I are capable of making mistakes. You and I are veterans of making mistakes. God knows that Abraham, before he became Abraham, Abraham is capable of doing mistakes, right? God knows that he cannot live a sinless life. But what he was asking Abraham to do is to walk before him sinless. Because he showed up and gave him a commitment. He showed up and gave him a covenant. He showed up and said he's going to expand his territory. And I want to come back to the chapter 17. And I'm going to read the next set of verses so that these words that God is just like saying to Abraham will become a strength for you this morning. He says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground 
Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What more? I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. After you, from generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. A couple of things in this verse. God is talking about an order for his blessing. And last night when I was writing this, there was just this one line that showed up, and I was just like thanking God for this. He was saying, we cannot be wandering in the wilderness and expect the promised land to be found. Let me say this one more time. We cannot be wandering in the wilderness and expect the promised land to be found. What God is saying is that there is an order in which I'm going to bless you. Don't start with what you want. Let me give you a formula. First thing God is saying, I need to do something to you first. Then I will do something for you. After those two things, after doing to you and doing for you, then I'm going to do something through you. This order is very important. Before we receive the blessing, God has to change our character. God has to change our attitude. God has to change our behavior. So the first thing God is saying is that you will no longer will be called Abraham, but instead you will be called Abraham. What does it mean? Abraham means exalted father. Father on the high, right? Exalted father. And what God is saying is that you are going to become Abraham. What does it mean? What is this, God? Why? In the ancient text, when they wrote the word ha, H-A, ha, right? It was referring to the unspeakable name of God. It was the fifth character or the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, ha. People in those days were so scared of calling God as Jehovah, Yahweh. They were, they were not referring to God. Instead, they were referring to him as Ha, because they were afraid of calling his name. We now talk to God like he's like our next door neighbor. We're just like saying, these people who just like to call him Jesus Christ. It's just like making it sound like, 
you know, they know this person, right? But in those days, they had a reverence upon calling his name. And so what God did is he took the fifth character of the Hebrew text or a Hebrew alphabet, and he put in the fifth position of Abraham the name. He put it in the fifth position of Abraham's name. God says, I'm going to be a God of blessing, a promise keeper, a way maker, a miracle worker, and a light in the darkness in your life by introducing the unspoken name of me introduced into your life. And he did that same thing to Sarah as well. Sarai became Sarah in this chapter only. But God is saying, before this, when people called you Abraham, it was hurting you because you were childless. You were not a father. Your name says exalted father. When everybody would call him, it would have hurted him. And that's why he was trying desperately to get to the position that his name was standing for. God says, with your strength, you cannot become the exalted father. I need to introduce my strength into your strength. And now you see what happens. You are not anymore an exalted father, but you are a father of the multitude of nations. God says, your descendants, I will. The second verse is, I will. I guarantee. Can you imagine if God signs that as a guarantor in your paperwork, if God signs his name on your document in the contract that you are holding with God, if he signs that, uh, he is going to hold his hand of his bargain. Then he says, I'm going to do something for you. First, he says, I'm going to do this to you because I don't like your attitude. I don't like your mindset that you're always in this begging mode. No, 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 no. I'm going to change that by introducing Ha into your name, Abraham. Right? Now, he says, I'm going to do something for you. I will confirm, verse 7 says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from your generation, from generation to generation. This covenant that I'm making with you is not just with you, but also for the generation to come. I will give the entire land of Canaan. Don't go possess the land of Canaan until God gives them to you. In a hurry, we try to occupy the land of Canaan without God opening his door for us to occupy. We need to wait on the Lord for him to, to give that opening for us to capture. We need to inquire of the Lord if there is something that's not happening. We need to ask the Lord, is this time for me to go, God? He is El Shaddai. He is an almighty God. He will open the door. He sits on high and he sits on low. He reigns over you. This is what God is telling you and me. Number one, he is an all-sufficient God. He is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise-keeping God. Number two, 
he says, serve in front of me. Serve me faithfully and live blamelessly. And the third thing God is saying in these verses is this. Wait for me to do something for you. First to you by changing your circumstance, your mindset, your attitude. Let me change that a little bit. Let me change your name. Let me work on you first. Sometimes we may not be ready for the blessing. And that's why God has to work in your life and my life. Sometimes we may not be ready for the, the, the money that we are going to receive. God has to work and make our life a little bit different and look for things that he would look for and make our life something that he can use. Then the third thing that God does is this. He says and does what he has always said and did, which is to keep his word. The Bible contains over 8,000 promises, and he will not shy away from even one of them. In fact, you know, if we go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 9, it says, God is speaking to Moses at this point. He's saying, I am Yahweh, the Lord, with all caps, Lord. And he says in the verse 3 of Exodus chapter 6, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. I reaffirmed my commitment or the covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you in the, with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to you to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your own, very own possession. I am the Lord. God is saying to Moses, 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 I have made a covenant. I have made a covenant with Abraham to give this promised land. I know your people are suffering right now in Egypt under the Egyptian lords. But don't think that's an end because I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm an El Shaddai. I will never shy away from my word. His word is worth every credit you can put on. If he signs the document, it is done. Let me tell you one more thing. There has never been a situation that we have run into in Proverbs 2-6 where 
God hasn't shown up. He will always show up. And he always delivers us. Because he has promised in the word that he is Al Shaddai, all-sufficient God. I don't know what your needs are this morning. As we go into asking God for prayer this morning, as Brother Vince is going to come speak to us today morning, before that, my prayer and encouragement to you as my brothers and sisters is this, not because of the situation that you're in or because of what you have done. God will never shy away from giving what he has already promised you. His view of you has never changed. Throughout the life of Abraham, we see God was traveling, whether it was in the land of Syria, whether it is in the land of Iran, whether it is in the land of Canaan, or whether it's in the land of Egypt. doesn't matter where he was. The presence of God never left him because he made a promise. And in that promise, he says, I will bless those who bless you. We are the hires of this promise even today. I will bless those who bless you. God says, if someone blesses you, I'm going to bless them as well. That's the commitment. And then when he travels and he makes a mistake and when he falls apart, then God says, I'm still not done with you. God's still not done with you and me. If he was done with us, he would not be speaking to you and me today morning. He has a purpose and plan. Just like a Jeremiah 29, 11 says, he has a plan, a good plan for you and me. And he says, I will land this in your favor because I am El Shaddai, all-sufficient God. Brother Vince. Thank you, Brother Cyril. Thank you for your message today about El Shaddai and using Abram, whose name changed to Abraham and how we could use that message, a reminder of how it applies to us in our everyday life. How many times are we like Abram? More, more often than we want to admit. How we want to take things upon ourselves. How we don't want to wait for him. And he reminds us he is the all-sufficient way maker miracle worker, promise keeper, the God, the impossible. How we, how we, we constantly need to be in his presence. How we will get Ishmael instead of Isaac if we fall, if we get wayward. His covenant he made with Abraham will never change. So what kind of God do we serve? We serve a God of the impossible. As, a, as Cyril said, don't believe in the impossible, but believe in the God of the impossible. And those examples of the strongest animals was just a great example of the strength that was created by God himself through other animals and the, how much stronger and mighty, unfathomable 
the God that we serve. Inscrutable. We can't, our minds can't understand because his ways are not our ways. So if you want to change, the change has to start with us, like with Abraham. It's not a, he wanted him to walk with him, serve him, and faithfulness to him. But it starts something to do first to you first, then for us, and then through us. Starts with our behavior, so it has to be intentional. But we have to have the faith and the trust that it will happen. Waiting on him, his word and his promises. His promises, 8,000 promises. 8,000 promises. And I close with this from Job 42, 1 to 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Amen. Amen. Lord God, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive it. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life, now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup, representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross, you are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When we read about Samson, we think he looks like a Hercules. And that's why he was able to kill the lions or bring the walls of the city down and so on and so forth. That's not true. Samson wasn't like Hercules' body. He was puny. He was tiny. He was shot. That's why people were wondering, how can a puny, tiny, shot guy like him can do such magnificent things? Abraham, Abraham knew. He didn't have power to deliver a baby at the age of 100. He knew that. Sarah was 90 years old. Nothing is possible from a human perspective. But God says, I'm going to introduce ha into your life. 
I'm going to change your life by introducing myself in a fresh new dimension, a fresh new discovery, fresh new grace into your life. As we come to the communion this morning, as we take this cup, just like what Jesus did in the night before he was crucified, he took that cup and he took that bread. And before he did anything, he broke that bread and gave it to his disciple. And he says in Matthew chapter 26, take this and eat. This morning, when you take this bread and eat it, remember this one thing. God is introducing his ha into your life. You today from here are just like God, God's magnificent power introduced into our body. And if there is a sickness in your body, that's going to receive the ha into it. If there is a break of strongholds that needs to happen, God is saying, as you take this bread, ha, is introduced into that body of yours. If there is a broken relationship, if there is a business needed, a revival, God says, when you take this cup, for this is my body that is broken for you, go ahead and take that bread. He took the cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you, this includes you and me, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. He poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. As you drink this cup of juice that you have in your hand, know this for sure. This is no longer a covenant given for a small set of people. It is a covenant given for his people who calls on his name, who calls him as the Lord and Savior. This applies to you and me. This is a covenant that God is asking you to drink this morning as you drink it in remembrance of him. Go ahead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the conference the Lord. has been unmuted. Hallelujah. Father, this morning, we come before your throne of grace one more time. In knowing you, as an El Shaddai, all-sufficient God. Father, I pray this morning for every one of my brothers and sisters on this line. God, the word, the root word of El Shaddai says, Shaddon is like a bread. I'm impressed. 
God is not only an El Shaddai, He is also a nourishing God. Until the promise happens, God, the Bible says that you travel with us, just like how you traveled with the Abraham Father. We ask you to travel with us until we get what is promised to us. Father, I pray that you will energize every one of my brothers and sisters on this line, including me, Father God, with a fresh new anointing and a fresh new discovery. We surrender, Father God, into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Cyril, are you going to remind them, tell them that? um, Oh, yes. Before you get off, yes, thank you so much, Ms. Sarah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, next week we will start uh, uh, start at 8.15 instead of 8.30 so that it gives a little bit of time in the beginning for us to just like spend some time giving God the glory and honor it's a praise time. So if you can, you know, reset your clock for by, by 15 minutes next week, let's try with the 8.15. Let's see how it goes. Um, if you can join at 8.15 next week, that will be awesome. And we will send some reminders, emails as well. Okay. Thank, Thank you very much. And as a reminder,